Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Troy's Book on Tape series. <laughs> Next up, Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> a Please don't read the actual text of Huckleberry yeah. Finn. Yeah. Read it as written. You have five seconds to change the channel. To opt out. <laughs> Flip the tape to side B. <laughs> oh, man. We, we did it. We did, we did part one. There was a... There's so much to get into. We need like a cannon fodder to talk about. (laughs) I know. Even after we we clicked off, I was like, hey, what happened here? (laughs) Am I reading this right? Mid-episode fod, just to discuss. (laughs) Mid-episode fod, bro? Well, it's it's funny in, in constructing these and kind of looking at them. It's it's months of thinking and of of like what what are the storylines that are still out there that need resolution? Because I don't want to get to the end of the story and be like, oh god, all right, let's just ham fist all these uh, uh, endings into one or two episodes. Uh, I wanted to cover as much as we could today. And as I started to build this list of things that have just been lingering out there i was like well there's a lot of interesting stuff but there's also just a lot of interesting stuff about these characters backgrounds that we've heard mentioned to that i thought would be interesting to actually see yeah like we haven't we've never seen seen them and it was a cool like thematically it felt like this is a another sort of reminder as we get near as we approach the end of where everyone came from yes and, and why, how far they've come yeah. where they are now and where versus where where they started mm-hmm. that real and uh, to me i really loved your scene skits so much because the brander it seems like such a like world power right kind of idea to us now at this stage of the game and you think back and you say yeah but didn't he originally say that like the town just like didn't let him keep collaborating. like yeah why didn't he just kill everyone in the town <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and it seems almost like a loophole but then when you play out the scene and the way it went down i think it was so well written and very well played by you troy because it's just like he has such astounding confidence that he just basically talks down to everybody and is like yeah all right. See you soon. Collaborates <laughs> and leaves. And it's great. It's great to see it and know what happened. Well, I, I my idea, that. my thinking was that, you know, Galabras was like he had to find those relics like under the 
city. Mm-hmm. And it was like somehow um, Brander knew that. And so this was his plan all along to leave Galabras in true now. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's how we envisioned it playing out, you know? And that's exactly how I wrote mine, which is like, now that you have this Silvermane storyline, it's like, all right, well, if he's sort of like moving and nudging events, let's show him, you know, I said that Lork was accused of a crime and they let him go to the Black Arrows and that, that was it, right? That's enough to sum up a backstory. Yeah. But then when you see like, yeah, they let him go, but really what happened is somebody was moving events and making things happen. Yeah. The people that we're going to see at the finale of this adventure. Yeah. Kind of pushing them together. And there was actually, there was one line that I really loved <laughs> that, uh, Troy reminded me, like, couldn't, couldn't, uh, wouldn't make sense is that, uh, because I didn't, I couldn't remember when Nestor was put in jail, like when he, when he, when he was like thrown into the cells. And so I had a line, she, you know, Halger is like standing up in his face, you know, with her chest out and, you know, just looking, looking him right in the eyes. It's like, uh, I think you're a slaver. And so it's like, you, you leave this guy here, you renounce all claim to him. And, uh, or, um, we'll throw you in jail. It's just like, this line is like, there's a murderous little rat down there that I'm sure would appreciate the company. <laughs> and it was like, that's the real threat. Right. It's not, right. we're going to throw you in jail. It's like, we're going to throw you in jail with Nestor. <laughs> but it was, I wish, almost wish we could have retconned it because it was like, I just love that moment so much. But yeah. Yeah. It was a good one. But I was like, yeah, Nestor was in jail. He killed that guy in clamor the night before Lork left. Right. So it happened right. at a different time. Right. That's the thing. That's why I need like George R. R. Martin's helpers. <laughs> what was the timing on that? Um, but yeah, it's, it was just really cool to, to see it all unfold. And as you guys were sending me these scenes and we were working on them together, it was just, it was a real good reminder of this, this epic story that we've told that some people have listened to like five or six times yeah. each. There are like a handful of people out there that just finish it and start over at the beginning. So, uh, you'll really appreciate these callbacks and also we'll know all of the mistakes that we've made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think that there's that many continuity mistakes. No, I don't no, think no. so. But- we've recorded stuff that like afterwards, uh, I went home and I was like, oh, that that actually couldn't have happened. <laughs> and, and we, we deleted it. Cut it out of yeah. the episode. That's only happened a couple times. Only a couple times. Like twice yeah. in 300 episodes. I was frantically Googling when Terendalev died and trying to yeah. f- figure out the start of Giant Slayer without spoiling myself on things. And I was like, uh, 49 what? Uh, and I, I was <laughs> I like, think okay. It was, I think it was the year before. Yeah, I think it was like it was uh, 47, 14. 47, 14 and then yeah. forty seven fifteen. Fifteen was Giant Slayer. Yeah, Giant Slayer. The only reason I knew is one Adventure Path came out before the other one. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I was saying like they came out back to back. So yeah. Was, yeah. Most I've people always... don't shoot in sequence, but Paizo always has. <laughs> right. Always shot in sequence. That's why I've always kind of been interested in Sir Will's story because I ran Wrath of the Righteous briefly and I read more than I ran, and then he comes into the story and it's like, Well, is that fight over? You know? And it's like I, I guess it is but I, my idea for what his father was doing and his brother and stuff like that in the world wound is like, yeah, but I mean, if you defeat like the immediate demon onslaught, it's just like any major war of that size. Like it's going to take years of still like little rat bands of demons that are hiding out and you got to smoke everybody out and, and how many soldiers are dealing with post-traumatic stress and issues that are related to it. Like it will linger for generations that fight. And so, yeah, I never had any worries about it. Be like, well, he came from the world one, but that was over in the last AP. It's, yeah. like, no, it, it's going to linger it's for a long time. It's got a for sale sign on the, the world one. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. They're selling real estate like hotcakes up there. It's real gentrified now, the world wins. It's went down there. It's unaf- rent's unaffordable. A lot of new coffee shops, but I just... A couple record shops. Have you been to that acai bowl place up there? It's incredible. But that's... Yeah, that's the thing is... Uh, yeah, uh, that's one thing that I do love about Galarian is the, the at least the 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 real effort to establish some kind of continuity, which is why like I wonder who so in in our version of Galarian in the one in which Giant Slayer our Giant Slayer takes place, who completed the events of Wrath of the Righteous? Oh, that's interesting. Like, who, those heroes who were the protagonists of that AP, maybe the, the events of that AP, and maybe, or the ones that we started playing with? Uh, <laughs> yeah. The ones. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Your yeah. characters are like gods. All right. Yeah. Good. You've now run Rise of the Rune Lords. You're on your third time running it. <laughs> In the Giant Slayer continuity, <laughs> which party uh, well, oh, did boy. those things? Uh, it's, well, it's interesting. I think it's actually, the way I think of it in my head, it was our original group that we played with. <laughs> Grant, Grant is hero. waving to the yeah. crowd like he's on parade. Yeah, I think there's a big statue of Grant's barbarian character, Odok, erected in the town square in Sandpoint in our version. Uh, and the one that I'm running now is sort of like an alternate history. Similarly to this campaign, was I the only PC to live to the as far as we got? I think so, right? I don't think anyone else That's crazy. survived that. Well, um, Kate's character did, but she was introduced yeah. later. So, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, the multiverse is all in style right now. So I think it's a perfect time <laughs> yep. to have multiple. Well, super, yep. And this is why we're doing our own world and adventure after this, because then every story that's created out of that is part of the canon of that world. Right. We can change Galarian's history all we want with our adventures, and people should when they play these games. Mm-hmm. But to create a glass canon world where, like, every event is the event that is fucking cool yeah. and people can still play in our world and create their own fiction just like we do with galarian but i'm excited or the that. thing they play in our world but the things that we do are like world events on an mmorpg server right it's right. like these are yeah. the world events that shape and change the things that you do in your games yeah. right. that would be so fun like the pathfinder special but in a on a global scale yeah, yeah. like our our characters oh, whoever they will be on this new show will be will be figures in this new world that everybody will know. And like, they'll, they'll be a part of the lore going forward that everyone else can, can, uh, can play with. So awesome. I think that's really cool. It'll be great. After the year and a half break, when giant slayer ends, it'll be cool, <laughs> cool to start that campaign. Well, we were, uh, we got a big box from Paizo when we came in today and I opened it up and the guns and gears book was inside. And I said, Hey guys, check it out. And I threw it right in the trash. <laughs> yeah. He actually, he had the gall to say that, uh, the guns really ruined his immersion in a fantasy world after Don Exposition took a major role in a flashback scene. Don Exposition. Well, you know where that came from is 
I was listening back to 200 and talking to Joe over email. And there's a line. Yeah, where I, it stood Halgris, out to me, too. Halgris says, <laughs> she's like apologizing for Tom being on the council. And she says, oh, I'm sorry, he was, he was grandfathered in. <laughs> and it hit me. I was like, because his dad was the chief defender. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we didn't get into it in the flash. I was like, it's just not enough time. We're trying to do a serious flashback here. But like, the idea is like Dom Exposition is a very takes his responsibility very seriously and he does see a lot of ends the way Tom does but he takes it very this power this responsibility very seriously and Tom is such a disaster that when they have to put him on the council because he's the son of the former chief defender they have to just come up with something for him to do and so they create the role of master of maps and horses <laughs> <laughs> for him to, to sit on. They invent an office. They invent the office. The master of maps and horses. Master of, uh, uh, they look around the room and they see a map. Maps, uh, look out the window at the old, uh, horses. Maps and horses. <laughs> I, still, I still love his, like, the detail of him being a hoarder. It's just like... <laughs> It's like come out of nowhere, yeah, but it seems to make that. so much so much sense. Is that like, episode like 70, 71? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, living right in his there. dad's home. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So he just moved in and never got through anything out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's amazing world building. That's so wonderful to be yeah. able to think about the chief defenders of True Now. Dom Halgra. Baron. And Baron. Yep. And Baron. Yeah. Three yep. generations we've had on this show. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. generation. No wonder they asked a uh, a guy who came to town and and left and hasn't been back since to be their <laughs> yeah. chief defender because they were afraid of I'm going a to wartime Tom. chief He's defender. He's a wartime chief defender. <laughs> I gotta go out there and stop the big bands. But yeah, home. we've had three separate administrations on this. <laughs> and now it also makes story. sense why Tom is at the uh, like telling everyone what happens at the uh, the tug of war. It's like it's a tradition in our town. We do this. It's like, excuse me, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yeah. It's all coming together. Everyone He's just like me. showing off that he knows all this. Oh, you don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is so great to me as like taking the time to write specific backstory details of random improv moments <laughs> yeah. that had happened. Here's why it got this way. Yeah. I love that. Oh, well, we, uh, we got part one done and, uh, I think it's time to, to start part two. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, but it's going to start off very, very similarly. Um, similar in the sense that we are, going to a different time period. The French Revolution? Yes. All of a sudden you see <laughs> the red, white, and blue see a, yeah, flag. see a legion of tricorn caps marching in step. <laughs> Look at all those guns. A cannon fires. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no. We hear the crackling sounds of electricity. At first, we think maybe it's the lightning sounds that we heard um, back in that Silvermane scene, but this one sounds more uh, prolonged and intense. It's crackling <laughs> sound. Yeah. And it continues until lights come up and we see electricity racking Metra's body. Oh, I Whoa. remember this. Whoa. Her young daughter, Della, grips her arm, sending this magical energy coursing through her mother. 
the snowy forest around them is on fire, the remnants of an epic battle between two powerful mages. Warwick Narn, Metra's former husband and Della's father, his face now twisted and consumed by evil, splays his fingers and utters an incantation, and a tear in the fabric of reality opens up behind Metra. Evil does not belong in this world, he says, and a young Della lifts up into the air and lands a kick to Metra's stomach, and Metra falls through the opening. Oh, man. She falls. Surrounding her is a darkness so complete it's as if all light has simply ceased to exist or never existed at all. She falls for what feels like a very... Very, very long time. She begins to understand that this will not change. There is no bottom to this pit on whatever plane or demi-plane she's now in. She will fall forever. After a time, something begins to appear before her in the darkness, a dim, flickering image, and when Metra concentrates on it, it begins to take shape, and Metra sees herself as a child, huddling beneath a tree that seems to be made of shadow itself, twisting and shifting as a storm rains down above her. Then there are more images They seem to be constantly in front of her, and yet around her, and yet in her own head. All of them at once. Images of her childhood in the shadow plane. Images of her parents being rent by shadow monsters. Images of her learning how to manipulate the shadow stuff. How to generate and control the magical energies within her. Meeting Warwick. Saving him from similar shadow monsters. Their whole love story played out, memory by memory. Each kiss, each embrace, each argument, each reunion. Warwick's slow transformation toward a path of evil. And of course, Della. Her birth. Holding her, a light and translucent baby rocking her to sleep, whispering to her in her crib. And suddenly, she finds herself no longer falling, but in an ancient city. And as she moves through the ruins, each new spot along her journey is another moment in her life, another memory. She is walking through her life. And then she steps into a small house in the woods. And there she is, younger, with Della, who is now about seven years old. Metra watches herself, showing Della how to focus the electrical energy that they can generate. Metra lets the current hop from finger to finger, then from one hand to the other and back. Della giggles, delighted. Metra offers a bit of instruction. And then Della tries her own hand at it, and the electricity shining blue begins to arc almost acrobatically from hand to hand. Della finally breaking through, 
learning how to utilize the arcane powers innate in her. The powers Metra herself had passed on, but different, perhaps more powerful, perhaps more dangerous. But then Della erupts in the pure joy of a child's laugh. Metra, the sheer pride on her face, wraps her daughter in a hug, and they begin to jump and dance together. This mother and daughter, both lithe and pale, joyful and free. Metra of the present leans in, watching this. She watches as her younger self and her child, her beautiful child, dance around this room until they accidentally bump into a small table, sending the books and papers stacked atop it, tumbling to the ground. They both laugh. And Metra leans down to pick everything up, and we see the date on some of these letters. And the year is 120 years from the present day. Oh, my. <laughs> God! Oh, I'm just remembering Metra being like, how old do you think my daughter is? <laughs> Baron being like, 18? <laughs> I don't think that's like, accurate. And then Metro in her head being like, you dumb red. <laughs> <laughs> that's <Stupid>. accurate. <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> Stupid red. <laughs> All girls are 18 to you. <laughs> oh, Metro can't take it anymore. She screams her daughter's name, tries to walk toward her, but as she does, the image disappears. And she sees up ahead more Della's, more memories. Della, her powers growing. Della being secreted away by her father. Warwick changing. Metra runs ahead, chasing Della through these memories. But as she reaches them, they whisk away. Metra runs, tries with all her might to reach out toward her daughter, but she cannot. Summoning every bit of concentration she can manage, every bit of magical energy within her, Metra tries to fight her way toward Della, towards this feeling of Della, the daughter she loves, the daughter who needs to be saved, protected from her own father. Metra screams, her entire body inflamed with magical energy, and now she's flying, tearing towards this feeling, through this ancient city, toward this love for her daughter, and all the images all around her swirl and intermingle and fade behind her. Everything stretches out behind her as she flies, and then there's an opening. She hurtles towards it and squeezes through. She screams as her body is pressed, squeezed, stretched through time. And then she lands in a walled city. (laughs) (laughs) The red mountains of Beltsin around her. She looks about. Townsfolk stand around her, shocked. It is, we know. And Metra will soon find out nearly 120 years <laughs> since she last set foot on the material plane. Where is my daughter? Metra whispers. Where is my daughter? Amazing. Uh, amazing. <laughs> Where is my 
daughter. Awesome. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. <laughs> what episode was that? Fun fact. Episode. What do you think? That is correct. Nailed, Nailed it. it, dude. Nailed it. And what episode number will it be on Apple Podcasts? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Spotify. Scooby-Doo. Uh, well, uh, uh, was it uh, 199? Where is my daughter? No. No. What was it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So it might have been 199. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. Well... It was said, and now you know why. Pretty sure it wasn't 199. It was said twice, like the end of one episode. It was the beginning of 200. First time it was said, I did it. And then she did it. Oh, yeah. yeah, So in episode 200, we addressed what happened after that moment. But that was the end of an episode. A long time before that. A long time before that. So I was curious. Like episode, like, oh, yeah. Oh, I think it might have been the end of a book. Might have been like the the end end of book. book three or book four, rather. Wait, book three. It was the end of book three. Yeah, because it was... uh, After Della died. Yeah, after Della died. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Spoilers. Spoilers for something that's happened earlier in this this show. A very very sensitive to spoilers. This has been... This pod seems cool. I think I'll start at episode 300, part two. (laughs) I hear that's where a lot of people started. Yeah. uh, yeah. I can't believe Joe said that. (laughs) Not going back now. <laughs> well, this 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 time travel this 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 time warp or whatever you want to call it this the what did you call it Matthew the dimension of time it's, yeah it's not I'm it's basically it's more or less the dimension more, and well, you know we did that in uh, two hundred I was like the telepathic plane uh, yeah. you know this is like the the the, the, the time plane the dimension that's of time. where she was so do you see it. <laughs> I, well, do you see this as like a, a true plane? It was just like like the elemental plane of time, or is this like some kind of demi plane? According to the Pfizer materials, it is a it, the dimension of time is a demi plane. Okay, and you were when you were there, you were there when you arrived there. You're encased in a bubble, and your entire life plays out before you. But you have to be able to concentrate on it, uh-huh. and then you, if you can, you eventually go on a journey through this space it's much there's much oh, more going on but there is one way out otherwise you kind of get cast out into a terrible fate wow cool yeah and to me it was always that Della's death and your love for her is what brought you back yeah but 120 years passed in that time yeah because Della was in the tree for Della was in the tree for very a great many of those years mm-hmm yeah so Metra could have been are you saying she could have been like experiencing this as a loop or just like this kind of rush for that long? Or it really was like only the brief period that we saw and time passes differently in that plane than it does on the temporal plane. I think time essentially has no meaning, not to get all nexus ribbony about it, but like the, the time essentially has no meaning in the dimension of time. Like, and then. Right, but we, when she kind of tore through the opening, what had passed, like to kind of get to that connection of Della, who was also outside of time, she kind of anchored herself to that echo, which was in true now. Okay. So it was like five minutes, 120 years, and a lifetime. Sure. While moving through this dimension of time, we leave Metra on the streets of true now. Where is my daughter? And we go back. In time again. <laughs> we hear a lone wolf 
mm-hmm. howling in the distance. <laughs> Joe, give me that wolf. Fuck. Oh. oh, that was good. Yeah. Sounded like Matthew doing a wolf. There it is. <laughs> here alone. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, there we go. Come on, can you give me a better wolf than that? That's pretty good. It's a good wolf. I like that one because it sounds like good. the wolf. We, I want to hear a wolf that sounds like it's calling its pack to join in on feasting on a fresh kill. <laughs> that's that was, what it is. That's this cool. one. That's great. So that's the sound we hear. And in the darkness. Oh, okay, so it's night. <laughs> that, was a, that was an afternoon wolf. <laughs> it's 10.30 a.m. <laughs> in the darkness, several fires appear. Campfires. Yes. Half a dozen of them or so blazing outside of rustic huts and tents. We see several men and women in loose-fitting robes standing in a circle near one of the fires. We approach a long, low shot from far away. And as we get closer, we see that they're standing around something. A body. We go through the legs of one of the figures to see the body of a dead orc lying on the ground. His skin is singed with jagged lines that ripple up his body and claw marks from what had to have been some massive bird or something covering his face, his eye sockets just bloody holes. One of the figures in the circle speaks up speaks to another member. How did this happen, Moss Moon? <laughs> A young druid with bruises on his face and arms stands forward. Bartol and I were out ranging when we heard something in the brush. I thought it was a bear or perhaps a large wolverine, but it was this orc scout. (laughs) He swung a falchion at me before I could fully react. Thankfully, I stepped in such a way where I caught the hilt against my face. Before he could draw blood, Bartol summoned a giant owl to distract him, and I recovered long enough to call lightning down to end him. The head druid listens, nodding his head. These attacks are becoming more frequent. It's only a matter of time before these scouts find our camp and report back to their chieftains. I must think on this. Prepare the body for the gods. We will discuss more tomorrow. Some of the group starts to take the body. All the others disperse. The leader speaks up again. Silvermane. A moment. A young, maybe the youngest Silvermane we've seen. Emerges from the group and walks up to the leader. Except for when we saw him as a baby, you mean? Except, yes. The <laughs> second young. We were there for his <laughs> birth. Oh, um, I had to work that night. <laughs> I always regret not being there for Silverman's birth. 
one of my great regrets in life. A young, but not the youngest, Silverman. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. The second youngest Silverman. <laughs> walks us up. Walks up to the leader, and he says, "I have always appreciated your counsel on matters such as these. These creatures, I fear, not only pose a problem for our society, our council." And our commune, but for the whole world, they are growing in number and their ferocity knows no end. We cannot attack them where they lie, they are well fortified, and our tactics are not suited to infiltration of that magnitude. But one of these days they will come, they will find us. And they will take what they want. Who they want. There are children now as well. <sighs> Something must be done. Silvermane nods, deep in thought. Think on this, old friend. I do not want to frighten the others, but I fear that a major decision must be made soon before it is too late. We are no longer safe here. Silvermane stares at the Druid Council leader, puts a hand on his shoulder. Silvermane knows exactly what must be done, but tonight is not the night to tell him. So they part, and Silvermane walks across the camp back in the direction of his hut when he passes by a man struggling to feed an infant. The baby's crying, and the father is trying to hold him in one hand while also preparing something for the baby to drink in the other. And as Silvermane passes, the man's like, I'm sorry, could you hold him for a second? The man hands the baby to Silvermane, and then as he turns back to get the drink he's preparing, he knocks it over and he goes everywhere. Meanwhile, Silvermane just stares at this green-eyed baby crying in his arms. It cries for a few more moments, gets louder, and then calms while Silvermane holds him. The man looks defeated. He's trying to clean up. I knew when his mother perished that things would be difficult, but I didn't know it would be this hard. Some days I feel as if I've been cursed. Maybe we'd all be better if those orcs came and wiped us all out in our sleep. Silvermane looks at the man, shocked to hear him say this. The man kind of regains his composure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't mean that. I just... I just can't dig straight. Do you ever feel like if you had the chance to change everything, to go back and do things differently... That you would. I would. I'd go back and... And never have fallen in love. So as to never felt the pain of losing her. And to never have this child that I have no business trying to raise alone. Alone in this horrible world where you have to kill or be killed to survive. Excuse me, 
for a moment. Do you mind holding him? I've, I've got to go beg for more food before he starts crying again. Could you please just stay with him for one minute? I'll, I'll be right back. I got to get food from the others. And he kind of says, are you okay? And, and, and walks away. And, and Silverman nods as the man rushes off. And you are alone, Silverman, with this slightly red-haired, green-eyed infant, Brander. (laughs) Now, at the time, that probably wasn't his name. But what his name was isn't really all that significant. Brandier. John. Sammy. Sammy. <laughs> I shall name him Sammy. The child's name is Jimmy. <laughs> something about the way you say the name Jimmy that just makes it sound so sleazy. Yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy coos in your arms. And you see the guy, he's like going up to a, one of the other mothers in camp that has a baby, and he's like begging for milk or food. You know he won't be back for at least a few minutes. What do you do? What do I do? Yeah, Silverman. Oh, shit. What do you do to Jimmy? (laughs) Infant Brander? (laughs) Infant Brander. Kill it. I feel like you're trying to trick me. This is a written story, right? No. Say what happened. That's for my notes. <laughs> Tell me what I did. <laughs> my notes end at what do you do? <laughs> Take him to um, an orphanage where they rehabilitate. This is an internet idea. This isn't mine. Where they rehabilitate future uh, evil people. So they know, like you know, they, they train them and, and they instill morals into them and they help guide them to a healthier and more productive life. Yes. That is what he Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> uh, no, he'll he'll look down at the infant and looking into its eyes, there's some, I guess, vague understanding of the significance of this moment. Something something's happening. But I like to think that Silvermane vacillates in between knowing what to do and being very unsure of what to do. Uh, mm. There's not a clear path and there's not a clear understanding of even who he is. Um but something about this child is significant in a way that is very surprising to him. And he feels the potentiality of great evil. And he looks back at the father, looks back at the infant, and is like, could I? Can I rid this man of his child, this this burden, do him a favor, and perhaps the world a favor? What? What is that thought? What am I thinking? <laughs> How is this happening? Why did Troy put this in my hand? <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly a a clarity starts to come over him, and it isn't it isn't very clear. But the emotion that he feels is one of immense, um, almost like, you know, it's just sort of a, like Matthew said, like the, the dimension of time, right? Like he's, 
he's had some experience with this, I would imagine, to his life at this point. And there, he knows he has some part to play in that. And looking at this, there is this feeling that that there are events that, whether good or ill, are tied to this child. And, hmm. and maybe... So I can explain it better as a player than I could, like, what he's understanding, because I don't think his clarity is as, you know, like, that he, he's omnipotent, right? But hmm. he has this feeling, and it's the feeling that there's... that one path is to eliminate this child now. But... Eliminating this child now could be, it would mean that there's no, for example, in my mind, it would mean that there's no Galabras Mm -hmm. in the fight against the Giants, for example. It would mean that there's no Sir Will in the fight against the Giants. Uh, He would never become a knight, right? If, uh, if, Brander doesn't show up to his home there's a lot of it gets tricky with with time yeah it's like no matter what his motives were he steered so many of these heroes into being in the right place at the right time to be able to combat this evil exactly and so we could think about this this is why it's complicated and hard to explain even as a player is like we could combat this th- quote-unquote threat of Brander, which really has been a threat only insofar as it has been damaging to some of our friends, and mainly in ways that we're not... Like, he didn't just go out and kill all of our allies, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what happened. If you really think about it, he did twisted shit, but he wasn't just, like, murdering our friends. Hmm. But he is positioning people, and he even said it in part one with Jimmer in a very unique way to defeat the giant threat. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking all that out in a way that's like not really occurring to Silvermane, but he's having this like moment where he's like, there is some, some significance here and this is a pivotal moment. And while his hand may sort of eke up toward the child's chest and he's just looking near to the swampy water, I could just like put it underwater, drown it. And rid this father of his burden, he thinks, no, there are too many events that are too important that this child will affect. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Even the very wise. Can you give it to them, Silverbane? (laughs) Do not be too quick to deal out death and judgment. Uh, But truly, do not be too quick to deal out death and judgment. That is what Dom Exposition did. Many, many years mm-hmm. later, and oh. Silvermane was like, you were a little too hasty. Yeah. Think about this. Well, it's he like, learned in this moment. Yeah. Like, exactly. This guy's a murderer. Also, that- you, have, you have attained a quite powerful weapon. Because now we know Brander's real name is Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's true. No one has If we know that. his true name... <laughs> Jimmy Brander. He sounds like a, like a gambling Jimmy. consultant that they would bring on CBS. Jimmy Brander. Jimmy Brander, if you're going to take like... the cult to the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love the idea of dropping that on him and him just being like, my name. My name. <laughs> Isn't that say, right? His name is not Jimmy. Okay. Okay. All right. okay. okay. But it is funny 
It's a fake. <laughs> to <laughs> pretend in a game of pretend. Briefly. So the final, in the final confrontation with Brandon, be like, isn't that right? <laughs> Jimmy. Or should I say James? <laughs> that is a name no. I have not heard in a long time. That is what they used to call me. Your birth name, James Baby. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I never want to stumble across a Wikipedia about Brander and see, like, born Jimmy. To, uh, parent. Well, now you know that's yeah. exactly what it's going to say. Gonna, you just uh, invited uh, it. <laughs> he's not Jimmy. He's, <laughs> he's not Jimmy. It's, it's, it's funny a, to say. <laughs> also, yeah, there is that. Right? There's, he doesn't have the specifics. He doesn't know, for example, this guy's going to contact a knight named Sir Will in the future. No, no, no. But there's also, isn't there the potentiality that this creature could also change, you know, sure. over time? Could not become quite as evil. Um, yeah, so being hesitant to try to determine all ends, he has this moment where it's like, I can't believe I just thought that. And then pushes the thought away um, and walks the baby over to the man. Walks the baby over and the guy turns around and he's got fresh food. And it's like, I was, j-, he goes over and he's mute, but he's, he uses hand, sign language to say, I was just trying to get one hour of Stellaris and please take this baby away. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't want to deal with the baby for fucking 60 minutes. Please. Sorry. Sorry, that is a very addicting game. One hour of peace. One hour, please. My, my wife is dead. Do you go play your video game? I too wish to play an hour of Stellaris. I remember playing hours of Stellaris. Yeah, I remember playing. <laughs> and my wife died in childbirth, leaving me Jimmy. <laughs> so you hand the child back to the man. Can you remind me what happens to him in the in the in between? Um, like, how does he come to be an Osirian? He's adopted by somebody when the Council of Thorns decides to. Commit seppuku, basically. Commit seppuku uh, to turn into Willowis to wipe out the orcs. Uh, Thun, uh, right. who is a member of the Council of Thorns, takes the three infants to Osiria. That's right. Oh, so all three infants were from here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot that. And Silvermane was inside the Vault of Thorns, putting the weapons in the uh, into the weapon cache away, and you came out, and they were all dead. They were all dead. Yeah. Except for Jimmy, Brian, and Carl. Yes. yes. <laughs> the three chosen ones. Yes. And they went off Jimmy and started Brian. a uh, chain of taco shops <laughs> along the river-esque. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, so uh, canon-wise, Ferrarcio, Silvermane, and Thune uh, were the only survivors of the Council of Thorns. And the three children. Pudir, Farzadir, and Brandir. And Farzadir was Feyraz's father? Well, it was Feyraz's uh, ancestors. And just like the Pudir that Lorcht killed was one of original Pudir's ancestors. So the man stands there holding the baby, lost, as Silvermane walks off. And then we come back to the present 
The actual present? The Baron. Metra. <laughs> oh, 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 no. So and Nestor Coin <laughs> standing in a greenhouse inside of Iron Cloud Keep. Amazing. As a gargantuan flying dragon plant creature <laughs> swoops into the room. It's a lot of words to describe that. <laughs> One thing <laughs> looks like that. Uh, oh, it's nasty. It's, oh, that's uh, right! I remember it now. It's been a couple weeks, but I remember. You know, it's it's definitely dragony, but it has arms that are like humanoid arms. You know, it doesn't have dragony arms and legs that are like humanoid legs. It's like a flying, I don't know what. And then it's got the wings, but then it has these glowing bulbs all that start at its head and go all along its back. Big spindly tongue coming out, branches growing out of it. It really does look like a combination of a dragon and a plant, and it is gargantuan in size. It flies through the opening. Oh the, my uh, goodness! It flies through the open doors uh, leading from the hanging gardens into the room and rears back its head. Roll for initiative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is amazing. I'm glad we get a fight in here. We always have a we always have a fight. Yeah, 200. We did, we completely ignored the current party. 300. We go back. Yeah, yeah. You know what's also interesting between 200 and 250 is like the amount of mentions of a castle in the clouds. You know, oh, and yeah. now here we are in the thick of it. We're in it. You are in it indeed. Up to your elbows. Yeah! <sighs> nasty, nasty creature here. Um, let's see what uh, what we got. Metra. 13. Yowza. Yeah, natural four. What about old Care Bear? 25. Oh, there you go. 25 for Baron. Sir Willamit Casewick. 20. 20. Which is a natty 18 for Sir Will. <laughs> so I am juiced. <laughs> and what about Nesticoin? Uh, Nesticoin, a 19. A 19. 19. 19. A little slow, Nesta. Where's my flashback? I didn't get a cutscene at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit miffed, to be honest. <laughs> Wait, where's Nord. my flashback? Or the flashback as well. Minus two Even cut my one line out in reference to me. <laughs> a two. Joe had I had two. a line of reference to you too, and oh, he cut fuck it out. Off. Fuck off, mate. He really is trying to cut Nestor out. It's not. He's just like an agenda now. It's tr- tr- like, you realize <laughs> Nestor's going to come kill you. <laughs> true. He's a very vengeful man. Skid was a. Uh, it was a time issue that it just didn't yeah. work in the continued continuity. <laughs> Joe was more of like it was a writing thing. I was like, show don't tell, Joe. Show don't. It's a little cheesy, <laughs> but it was still good. But I like my role playing game cheese. I, it was good. It was good. I just it was it was in reference to the jail. You would say well, he said something to the fact like one day Nestor Cohen would be heard sitting singing "Itsy Bitsy Spider." Here. Basically, Lork was in the same cell that Nestor was in oh. years later. Oh yeah, I just thought it was fun to be like, oh, this cell, this this you become quite familiar with these cells, and everyone would go, oh, Nestor. Yeah. No, nobody did. Without everybody, literally yeah, no was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking over about. the head with it. Just because <laughs> we didn't. Say it doesn't mean you didn't think it. Okay, Matthew. See, Matthew. Matt, did you get it, Matthew? We we've only been in those cells so many times. <laughs> well, Matthew is a professional writer. That's true. That's true. Um, 
What is your uh, uh, bone there, Sir Will? Plus two. Plus two. Plus two, slow. It's a little slow. Thankfully, you have a gunslinger. Oh, my Quick to take the attention, the full melee attention of the creature. Quick to take the full (laughs) melee attention. (laughs) Oh, my God. This gargantuan, bro. Creature. And, Baron, you do get to go first. It's crazy that I outrolled a dragon whose glowing yellow orbs on his back look like the weak spots you would target if you were fighting it in a video game. That's exactly what they look like. Very clearly. (laughs) Uh, Baron, can he do any knowledge check on this type of dragon? Would this fit under nature based off of it looking like a tree? Could I roll that? Um, I'm going to tell you right now, you could do nature or you could do plans. Okay, I'll do nature because that's all Baron has that's relevant. Uh, that will be a 17. So sorry. Gonna need uh, someone more knowledgeable than that. Give you information. I'm a sorcerer, man. I don't have. He, Troy looked at me. I'm a sorcerer. A knowledge isn't my thing. Just didn't want to make eye contact with Grant. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really have that in the party anymore. No. I know. True knowledge. Yeah. True. And that will true be knowing. our undoing. It's my favorite Jim Jarmusch movie. Um, Baron is going to take a five foot step backwards. He is going to swift action call down the judgment. No! Torag down upon himself. He is going to. Oh, only one swift action a turn. He'll stick with that judgment for now. This will be an unbaned full attack action against this creature. Unbaned full. Full attack at this flying creature. Here it comes. Natural 20. Oh! Sorry to ruin your episode 300, Laval. He's done. You kidding me? That's it. Look I at love that. when these Look. go fast. It's easier for me. I don't have to worry about all the, remembering uh, all their things. Uh, that's too funny. <laughs> you get home an hour early. <laughs> Call me you roll a natural 300. Uh, hold on. I'm pulling out that dice. It's in my bowling ball bag. Uh, uh, um, that is a 29 to confirm against Touch oh, AC. Oh, I wonder. Oh, just made it. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even have him ready because I didn't amazing. think it would ever happened. The first die roll of episode 300 uh, is 20. Okay. I'm really regretting my position behind Baron, because if he does uh, draw the ire of this thing's breath weapon, I'm definitely going to be caught in it. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Alright, let's go to this one. Uh, Zork Chris. Zork Chris. Hi, Zork Chris. Uh, from Carson City, Nevada. Oh. oh. Ooh. Capital. Oh. That is the capital of Nevada, one of our nation's 50 state capitals. <laughs> it sure is. And the title of this crit is... <laughs> Cracking yourself up, Skip. I, I mean, yeah. the look of pure joy on Skip's face. Right? It's childlike. I don't... Childlike. There's some cities it's tough to say anything nice about. <laughs> it is the capital. The proud. Exclusive list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what happened? Uh, the title is A Couple Things Are Gonna Happen. Oh, interesting. Oh, the 300 oh and it's edition. long. It's always long. Everybody <laughs> likes writing long crits. 
The positioning of your projectile causes a flinch or movement momentarily, opening an opportunity for your allies to pounce. Oh. Double damage, and the target is considered flat-footed until the beginning of your next turn. Whoa. In addition, that's... you and each of your allies can make one move or swift action immediately. Oh, come on. The target Whoa. cannot make attacks of opportunity during these actions. If all allies, including you, choose to forego the action, the damage becomes triple damage instead. Reflex save negates only the flat-footed condition for the round. So basically, this is fucking ridiculous and amazing. (laughs) You get a reflex save right away. So go ahead and take your reflex save. Okay. And it's against a... 29. 29. Uh, Okay. I hate all these dice I have. Reflex save. Uh, Fail. Yes. Okay. So yes, you're flat-footed for the remainder of the round. Okay. That is so huge. I have added that condition. Until my Now, we have an option. Either the three of us can take uh, a move or swift action right now, or we and can then give Baron quadruple damage. Right. Baron. So it would, be, it would be that and triple, or you guys don't do anything and he gets quad. Yes. I see. We take the actions. Take the action. He's still getting oh. triple damage. Yeah. Okay. He's only going to do like 30 more points of damage or something like that. Sure. Oh, it's okay. a dragon too. So he's not going to get maybe all the bonuses. Right. I don't have, uh, I don't have my, uh, Bane applied for this dragon because I used it to call down a, uh, a judgment to buff my AC and damage. So, right. So he, he okay. it's not a giant. So he's going to take a little less off. Okay. So, uh, is there a swift action you can do that's that's cool? I or? mean, I can study target, but I could have done that anyway. We could reposition to be in to be in optimal. I mean, I guess the, this thing is gargantuan, so its reach is probably terrible. Yeah, but it also means that like bad. I could just close on it and start tanking it immediately. That's true, and it won't be able to. I react. can get I can get off a level three spell or lower. Uh, Troy, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Is it flying in the air like way over it us? Is. Oh, okay. So it's kind of that's kind of irrelevant. I could cast fly on one of you mm. at range. Or they'd have to move. Is to that me. a touch? Is fly a touch? No, no. You'd, have to, you'd have to move to me. Oh, I thought it was range. Oh, what if... What if I move to you and you cast fly on Lexington? Yeah. I could also fireball it. <sighs> yeah. Which would do more damage than one more on Baron, right? So... This it's is exciting! <laughs> well, I would say... I would say cast fly because that could... If this, if this fight is over quickly, say... That could still possibly have utility after the fight. Whereas if you shoot it with a fireball and it's over, then that's it. I will say you can do your actions in any combo you want, like uh, uh, X-Men style. You don't have to go in your initiative order. So it's like, you move to me, I'll cast this. A bit, but I'll, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Grant's like, can I, I take the quad damage? I'm, I'm, no, 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 I'm not like that. I'm actually leaning towards the fireball because what if it just lands and decides to slay us all? Like, it, it might not have much utility in the air. So it could just land and But it might have like waste. a breath weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it does have a breath weapon, you moving to me is going to make us, the three of us, an easier target. Now, it's probably going to get all three, but you, you and Nestor could flank out to the side. I mean, I could ride right past it and under it right now to at least spl- spread us out. It's true. Give it different targets. You could. Uh, I, like, I, like that. I like that, actually, because it's okay. that way you get you. It can't hit all of us with the breath weapon. Okay. Great. And maybe it'll just turn and hit me or something. Uh, all right, great. What do you decide? I'll fireball it. All right, Metro fireball. Sir Will Swift. is going to ride under Quick it. and meta magic rod. Swift, okay. And that was drawn. Oh, you have the quick draw? I always have my quick and meta magic rod out in dangerous situations. That's just smart. 
<laughs> All right, Sir Will is going to run past it. Yeah, Sir Will rides under it and past it into uh, the back of it, uh, even though, you know, it faces all directions at once. But now he's within its attack range, its melee attack range right now. Okay. Unless you're saying it's so high up it's not already in melee attack range. I don't Well, it's got, it's got reach that you don't have. Okay. Uh, so it is... Um, it can't, but it doesn't provoke because of the wording of the crit. Then it hasn't gone yet. It hasn't gone so yet. So it can't true. provoke. Yeah. That's true. Yes. Um, so you zip under its, under its flight. Nice bond. crit, Sword Chris from <laughs> pretty, Carson pretty awesome. City, Nevada. Pretty awesome. This is fun. What does Nestor do? Nestor, I guess Nestor is just going to flank out uh, to the eastern part of the room uh, just a little bit. It's like 15 feet. Okay. Very good. Roll reflex save. Roll a reflex save. Already failed. Flat-footed. Uh, that is a 17. Oh, that's a fail. Yeah, buddy! You take 38 points of fire. Oh, oh nice. my goodness. It screams <gasps> when it takes that. Oh, because yeah, it's, it's vulnerable, vulnerable to fire. That's why I wanted the fireball to get through, baby. Yeah, yes. Good call. Yes. Now I need trip damage from Baron. Oh, nice. That was a new fireball sound. Awesome. I like that one. 74 points of damage. Oh. It hits one of those glowing yellow orbs right on its neck and it explodes. <laughs> Sass all over. So we've done like 110 points in the first turn. Uh, the first attack. The first shot. 129 points of damage, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dude, it's going to die before I even go. Wow. Thankfully. Right. You have more attacks. That was his first That's attack. That's sure. attack one. <laughs> <laughs> that was so long. But at least his at least his iter of attacks don't hit against touch AC. Right, right, right. Oh wait, that's they do. They do. That's a thirty-two to hit. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Natural twenty. Oh Twenty-eight points of damage. Okay, okay. Next attack. <laughs> uh, is a twenty to hit touch AC? That's a hit. Big old. Uh, Twenty-two points of damage. I mean, it's going to have to be a misfire. Uh, it's cracked on a 20, but I'm going to re-roll oh, no. it because I re-roll everything. I appreciate Come it. Come on. Uh, that's going to hit with a 20 against Touch AC. Yeah. 21 points of damage. Okay. Final attack will also hit. <laughs> oh, my God. For 23 points of damage. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, do not use a single spell, man. We've basically wow. 200 points of damage in a single turn. In a single turn. Oh, uh, I can tell you right now, you did over 220 points of damage. 220. <laughs> in a single turn. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. We know. We have learned throughout this book. That's what high-level play is. And my one of my main new strategies is survive First to my turn, and then hopefully to a second round. <laughs> I have survived to my turn. Oh, and so, so you're going to do something terrible and long-lasting. I will do something terrible. Uh, Aegeus. He's just going to curse us before he That would be amazing. No. Aegeus, well, oh, no. you must leave the castle and kill an orphan boy. <laughs> I am going to do a Jimmy, no. 60-foot cone. Which, yes! Which should hit everybody except Sir Will. Oh. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really? Um, really? really? So I need a reflex save. Really? You can get Baron and Nestor in the same 60 time. foot. 60 foot John. Uh, 37. That is a pass. Uh, spell or spell-like ability? Uh, it is, in fact, a something. It's got to be. It's got to be exceptional, right? Okay, then it's probably not going to get my bonus. 35. Okay. Still good. Metra? 
19. Oh, no. Fantastic. You know what? It was DC 28. Oh, oh God. Wow. Oh, Sir wow. Will is an auto-fail. Yeah. Unless wow. he gets a natural That's why I just wanted you to stay there because I could have got all of you. A uh, couple things are going to happen. Neither Baron or Ness, you guys both have evasion, right? I don't think Baron I have does. evasion. Baron does I do not. Okay. You will not be entangled. You, Metra, are entangled. And you will also take 18d6 worth oh, of damage. Oh, wow. Whoa! That's a lot of damage. Half of which Baron will take. <sighs> and that works out to be 71 points of damage. Oh, my God. And Baron will take 35. Wow. And I'm entangled. And you are entangled, which, uh, once again, uh, for those of you listening at home, you're ensnared. It doesn't impede movement. You can still walk. You can move at half speed. You can't run. You can't charge. Minus two to attack. Minus four to dex. Sorry, Metra's AC. And an entangled character who attempts to cast a spell must make a concentration check. DC 15 plus the spell level or lose the spell. But what, is, what is actually what actually comes out of its mouth? It's like this uh, cone of... Flying dirt, bark, stones, uh, and moss, which, awesome. which takes root as soon as it touches the ground. Oh, and weird! So it's just like blah, shoots all this out, and then it starts wrapping around Metra's legs to pull her Whoa. down. So I'm just thinking of of the Dark Souls dragons that like you know fly over and blanket an area, and then the fire like lingers there for a while. This one just like slams into the ground, spreads out, and then instead of like lingering burning fire, it's like lingering undergrowth shoots that like grabs at your. It's that, great. that is really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, it's like getting caught in a, in a tornado or something. <laughs> it, you're, uh, you're entangled for two rounds uh, by this material. Um, trying a, a strength or escape artist check. I'm sure you're strong enough. <laughs> At that moment. <gasps> coming from the hanging gardens. Oh, no. That's behind Sir Willimit. Sir Will hears some movement. <laughs> this thing comes. Oh! Whoa. It is just this this mound of roots covered in moss and leaves with little mushrooms growing out of it and two little beady eyes. I I think he's kind of cute. He looks like the guys I'm meeting on Bumble BFM. Yeah, (laughs) he does look kind of cute. He comes up to Sir Will and uh, will attempt to slam you. Uh, Here we go. One slam, 24. Miss. Okay. Another one runs past you. You have a uh, uh, possibility of an attack of opportunity if you'd like to take it. Uh, if you've not used... Uh, you haven't used it yet, right? Yeah. Your swift action. Oh, you didn't take a swift. You took a move. Well, the crit was a free I, uh, swift anyway. I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can attack AOO with the lance. Oh. Hmm. It's unwieldy? Well, it's... Uh, I think if you have a shield and the lance, which I do, I think you can only use it as part of a charge, I think. Um, whatever. I'll, I'll roll for it. Let's see. Uh, that is a th- <laughs> still a 32 to hit. 32 is a hit. Uh, all right. Let's just, why don't you just take the damage and I'll look it up because it's only going to be uh, eight points of damage. All right. Uh, <laughs> look so it he's up. just like, Neh! 
<laughs> stabs you as you run by. Okay. Uh, another one uh, runs by as well, but you don't have combat reflexes. The first one ran up to get close to Nestor. This one runs up and uh, gets right... Uh, let me see. Yeah. It gets right next to Metra and Baron, about 10 feet away from both of them. Actually, it'll run right up to Metra to be next to Metra and 10 feet away from Baron. And then a fourth one comes up. Oh, jeez. Holy crap. And goes to slam Sir Will. Oh, no. They just kind of shamble up and misses Sir Will. Not even close. Uh, but there are now five enemies. Wow. Was not Oof. expecting this. Okay. It is Sir Will's turn. Sir Will, you've got this giant creature here uh, that is... Uh, unreachable. Unreachable to you, but it can reach you. And then you've got these two guys right on your situation. You feel like they can't really hit you, but you don't know what their abilities are. Now that they've got into the combat, they may uh, they may switch up their tactics when they realize you're unhittable. And your allies are have enemies on them now as well. Oh boy! Yeah, this is this is bad business all around. Um, okay, uh, then oh boy. <laughs> He's going to try to take the attention of the other ones uh, and just say, The dragon! Take out the dragon! And he's going to charge uh, through this mess, provoking literally everywhere, (laughs) taking one million points of damage. (laughs) Just to hopefully free Nestor up to shoot the dragon. Uh, So he will charge... uh, and these guys have a reach of 10 feet, I assume? Uh, you would think they have at least 10. Okay. Um, you don't know for Well, then sure. you know what? I'm not, then I'm not going to do uh, ride-by attack. He's just going to charge up at the creature closest to Nestor. Okay. And try to impale it with his uh, lance in order to, to try to distract it from attacking Nestor. All right. So that will provoke from the two in the back that were that came up to you right at the doorway. That is correct. And you know it's going to be very hard for them to hit, but they will both try to slam. Uh, the first one, 23. Miss. And the second one, uh, 21. Nice. Miss. Okay. Nice. And then the dragon. And then the it's flat-footed. It's flat-footed. flat-footed. That's right. It, it, Until you know the start funny? of Baron's next. Turn. I can tell you right now, it has no mechanical effect on its AC, but that's enough for it to not be able. to... That's huge. Uh, yeah. So now Sir Will charges this like mossy giant garden creature, and the dragon is right above Sir Will. Like he's under the dragon as he uh, attempts to lance this thing. Uh, I'm going to roll the die that we got from our friend. Uh, our friend uh, Caitlin. Caitlin, thank you so much for this beautiful red crit. Oh, you talked about it in shit part die. one. I sure did. I'm going to try to roll this for Sir Will's Here comes first the shit charge. Here comes the crit. That is a shit 32. <laughs> uh, that is a hit. 32 is a hit. And he will do 25 points of damage. 25 points. This is the one that you took an AOO on, uh, so take some time to see if I get those eight hit points back because I charge you by the hit point. You got it, buddy. Thanks, pal. (laughs) You're a true friend. Uh, All right. Just reading uh, their abilities real quick. Very cool. That is Sir Will's turn, and now it is Nestor Coin's turn. Nestor, you're 10 feet away from this guy, so you'd want to get, give yourself some space so as not to provoke. Yeah, Nestor saw this thing run in, and it got pretty close to him, and then he was just like, oh, shit. 
and then Will came up and stabbed it right through the back with his lance, distracting it. Hopefully, he takes a five-foot step back, studies target, because he wants to get his shots in on this dragon creature while it's flat-footed. So he takes a five-foot step and uh, fingers crossed that this thing will uh, be occupied by Sir Will. And he's going to unleash a full attack against the dragon. Against the dragon. Uh, first attack is a 34 to hit. 34 barely hits. Oh, boy. Okay. That is uh, many shot with the sneak attack damage. 81 points of damage. Oh. Okay, still up. Oh, okay. come on. Stop lying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so what, that's over 300. 300. That's not that strange, but it can't have much more than that <laughs> at this level. Uh, second attack, Natty 18. Oh, yeah! Okay. 45 more points of damage. Now it's dead. Yes! Oh, oh, shit on, shit on. Oh, man. Skid drop, do a drop, do a sick fucking oh, yeah. drop for Nesta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a uh, CR 16 creature. I mean, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, I, and I actually am, because that's so lame. Uh, that's the game, though. That's. <laughs> Okay. I'm just happy I got one breath weapon off. Uh, but there are still some enemies here, and Nestor's got, what, two or three more attacks? Uh, I've got three more attacks. So he turns his attention to the shambling mound that's rushed at him. Uh, and first attack is a 28. 28 is a hit. Oh, very good. That's uh, definitely good to hear. Uh, and 27 points of damage on that. Okay, and how is that damage broken up? i just curious. Uh, three points of that is electricity. The rest is normal. Okay, what was the full amount? Uh, 27. Okay. Uh, great. Okay. Uh, fourth total attack second on this creature. Natural 20. Oh, oh my goodness. My <laughs> God. Uh, and that is a 27 to confirm. That is confirmed. Oh, confirmed crit! Yes. All right, we got Brian from Fort Worth, Texas. Howdy! Brian from Fort Worth, Texas. Howdy, Brian. Metroplex. This one's called Weighted Dice. Whether by luck or otherwise, you unleash a devastating attack against the target. Double max damage to the target. That's it. Oh, wow. So it's double damage, but it just gets maxed. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Weighted dice. That's a good title. Uh, Wow. Uh, Okay. Uh, (laughs) 90 points of damage. It explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Dirt and debris. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. And with his final attack... Uh, he turns his attentions towards the creature menacing Metra and Baron. Uh, that is a that is a twenty-two to hit. Twenty-two is a hit. Oh wow! Okay, that is <laughs> how embarrassing. Great. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. And that is twenty-six points of damage. Twenty-six points of damage. Oh, 
very satisfying round, I must say. You notice that Sir Will hits these things. The electricity is doing something strange to them. You can't quite tell. Now, he obliterated that first one. But again, when this one got hit... You, you mean when that, Nestor hit When Nestor things. hit it, the electricity crackles around it, and it doesn't seem to be... Uh, hurting it? It doesn't seem to be hurting it, but it also seems to be doing something else to it. Benefiting it? Helping it? Hard to say. You need a little uh, planes or nature check. Um... Let's move on to Metra's turn. God. Old Metra at the bottom. Do I want to play? You want to play? Don't ball? actually do use anything. Well, I need to get out of this situation. She's I in am, a pickle. I am hurt. You're hurt? Oh, yeah. I just took more the breath than half of my hit points from that breath weapon. Oh, I didn't realize she got just ma- massacred by that. Oh, thing. yeah. Well, then use whatever you need. And they where she's standing right metro. next to it, she's, it's a tricky position. Absolutely, Because yeah. uh, five-foot step, you're still within reach. But you can't five-foot step? Yeah. No, I can't five-foot step. I'm entangled. Um, <gasps> That's right. Which means I also have to roll concentration to even get the spell off. Oh, um, here's my idea. I mean, I have a bunch of options. Oh, uh, Dimension I- John, and then just swift action in Vizzy John. And just go invisible. I mean, I could do that. Those are low-level spells, and the fight's in hand. We got these guys. The fight's in hand, And if it gets out of hand, you can always come out of invisibility and do shit. Uh, I'm going to instead... Um, I'm going to activate the uh, Cloak of Etherealness. Oh, that's a good idea also. Okay, and that doesn't provoke... Um, that's, that's a good question. A standard, it, action. standard action. Do I roll a concentration to issue a command word? No, I think that it just provokes. Yeah. I would guess. As a command before word? you act, maybe a command word doesn't. Before you act, Baron will give you cover. Baron will take the opportunity of Nestor's last attack in order to uh, um, activate his teamwork feat, target of opportunity, taking an attack. It does not provoke attacks of opportunity. That's right. Go, go go ahead, Baron, because that would use that thing. Because that actually yeah, because I'll open up even more options to you. And if it takes its attack of opportunity against me, and if it does not have uh, multiple attacks of opportunity, uh, Baron is going to fire at the last creature Nestor struck. Okay. Would you like to resolve your attack of opportunity first, or will you not be taking one? I will not be taking one. <laughs> <sighs> I choose uh, not to run. <laughs> All right, it's a hit. Uh, for 24 points of damage. Okay. They didn't care for that. One damn bit. All right. So, yeah, activating that uh, with the command word, you should be fine. Casting a spell, you still have to roll that uh, DC 15 plus the spell level for the entangled condition. I'll just activate the cloak. I'll go into the ethereal plane. You are ethereal. Awesome. And then I will move. You are living I'm still entangled, but I can still move. world. Do you take the entanglement speed. with you into the ethereal plane? I, I don't know. Would I? It's weird. You get to take only the good things, like your <laughs> spell components and uh, brazier. Uh, I mean, yeah. he's playing it as if he's entangled. I yeah. roll, I move to half speed, but if you say I can move full... All well, no, I, it was a question to the group. I wonder if you... Well, I had a couple other options. I, I would assume he's portal. no longer entangled. Because to me, it sounded like the entanglement was coming from physical objects that are holding her. Yeah. Right, the entanglement is on the material plane. It's not on the... Right, it wasn't like something that like happened to her. It's like, she's entangled. Yeah, it's I'm just... fine with that. All right, well, then I'll move full speed. That's why, in an ideal world, Baron would be entangled, or maybe Nestor, or yeah. anyone but the magic user. Uh, all right, so you're on the aerial plane, and what do you want to do while you're there? I slide over next to Nestor. Smoke a cigarette? He can't see me. He can't see you, and you're right there. 
I'm, I, I take as a free action. I make funny faces. You should show me butt because <laughs> he can't see it. I stick my oh, tongue out, just like the Ryan O'Neill movie. So fine. It's exactly. It's the second time you. I'm going to keep referencing that movie until someone looks it up. <laughs> I, I did look it up. I looked it up. I had no idea it existed. I was it's, like, oh, that's it, Ryan yeah. O'Neill. That's all I saw. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, not a good movie, but <laughs> it, it, it sure existed. Oh, Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> wow. It's round two, and it's Baron's turn. Uh, sorry, I'm just... Oh, cool, that movie. All right, um, so Baron is going to take a five-foot step uh, towards the lip of the table. Well, great. And can do a knowledge check on these creatures? Uh, nature? You already did. I forgot to do I that. I did it on the dragon, actually, not that's on right, the That's right, that's right, I'm so. sorry. Go ahead. Come on, baby. 17. Mm. Okay, they are, in fact, as Skid said, shambling mouths. Ah, I figured. Yeah, I gave you a little hint when I said they shamble yeah. forward. That's what I do sometimes. Uh, yeah, shambling mounts. They've been around for a dog's day. I I'm give- on the road to shambling mounts. <laughs> Lord, I was born a shambling mount. Uh, I'll give you one piece of information after we're done riffing. Okay, good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, more here. <laughs> do I know their subtype to activate Bane on? Uh, they are. Uh, that was nature. Yeah, and I think I probably plant are, large by, plants. by knowing that they're shambling. So if you want to give me something else, or if you want to th- say that, yeah, what no, I'm you would know about. they're large plants. Now the other one was. Uh, oh, what about the electricity thing? Yeah, the electricity. Oh, thing. that's what I want to know about. What's going on there? Yeah, that's kind of fun. So they are immune to electricity, but they also have this ability known as electric fortitude, where they take no damage from electricity. Instead, any electricity attack used against a shambling mound temporarily increases its constitution score by one d four points. Oh wow! The oh, shambling whoa. mound loses these temporary points at the rate of one per hour. That is so cool. So you're giving it more wow. hit points. Yeah, so you yeah. gave it more hit points when he hit it, and that's what you saw. It. And like, awesome. wow. Yeah, they're probably a pretty decent level, so it's probably a good amount of hit points. Yeah. Well, only if it rolled two on the 1d4. Yeah, or four on the 1d4. Right. right. Baron will add Plant's Bane onto Dawn Strike with a swift action and attack. All right. The Shambling Mound closest right. to him. I just rolled a 1d4, and I rolled a 1. I mean, there's no doubt that you would roll four. Mm-hmm. You rolled, uh, you rolled shit. <laughs> I rolled 25 shit. to hit. 25 to hit is here. Uh, 35 points of damage. Yes. Oh, uh, my goodness. <laughs> Second attack is a hit with a juicy 18. <laughs> uh... 32 points of damage. That baby's dead. Nice. Oh, they did. Nice. Windows temp HP. Got a long ah. shot there for those finals. Um, I'm going to save it because uh, I I don't want to use my grit on them. They can move really far, though. They, they move pretty fast. Yeah, they got into well, the room. Well, they ran into the room, uh, so and they didn't attack, so you don't think that... You don't know That's exactly. true. I'm going to take a five-foot step closer to them to be in a better position to attack at them next round. Okay. Uh, uh, I could fire once. I'm going to... Because uh, I can take a five-foot step at any time during a full attack action. I'm going to fire once more at my highest attack bonus uh, against a regular AC. Okay. With a minus two, because they're 70 or 65 feet away, with my 40-foot range. Crack die on a 15. 
uh, on a 15 again, so that will be a 33 to hit. 33 to nice. hit is a hit. And you're hitting the one on the left or the one on the right? The one on the left, uh, the west side of the map as you look at it. Okay. Yeah, they're both standing right at the double doors, right in the doorway. 33 points of damage. Oh, nice. oh gross. <laughs> it is their turn, and the one that Baron just hit. Uh, runs into the room uh, right up to uh, Metra and Nestor. Metra's Ethereum, but... Well, it's, I, mean, it's I, me. uh, she's I essentially would, next to it. It provokes from me. It, as it, as it runs by, I do a quick... Boop! You with can the, do an with, with the lance. lance. I didn't see anything that says you can't, okay. uh, but I'll, I'll keep looking. But uh, It sounded like a Joey Jojo hamstring, because I'd never heard that. It seems but. so insignificant, uh, but it is 10 points of damage. Did you yeah. hit it? Natty 19, yeah. Okay. 10 points of damage. And that's all electricity, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're having a good time. Took me a second. That's uh, good, LaValle. Okay. The uh, the one who... All right, so that guy just ran up, and that's all he could do is get up in your business. Whereas this guy can actually uh, do a charge and attack Sir Will. Oh, yeah. And so that is what he will do. And he'll charge in a way that actually gives him some cover there. I, I love that we've established that these these are big creatures, but it's it's currently charging over the dead body of that plant <laughs> dragon, which is badass. Actually, I don't know that it can charge, because isn't the body considered an obstruction? We, it depends on the size difference in between them. We've had larger creatures or creatures close in size do yeah, stuff like this over This is it. a classic uh, GM call. Yep. And it's a good good question, Matthew. And what I'm going to do is I am going to still charge, but I'm going to sh- charge in the more uh, open way to go past the, uh, the wing area, not stand on the body. It is a weird thing, though, right? It takes up a lot of space. Yeah. With this body is. All right, you know what? No, I, I, I think that I have to stay true to this. If it was any other creature, this is a colossal creature. There's no way he's going to be able to charge that Gargantuan. body. Awesome. Gargantuan, excuse me. Uh, yes, Gargantuan. So he's just going to double move up next to Sir Will and not attack. Can't do it. Can't. I can't do it. I won't be able to sleep with myself. It's Sir Will's turn. Sir Will, you're right next to this guy. <laughs> Sir Will is right next to this guy. He turns around on Lexington to face this new threat behind him and just tosses the Highbury Lance to the ground and draws out. Rose light oh, there we go. up into the air. Lexington rears back and he stands forward with it. And uh, yeah, for for one time, <laughs> for one time, <laughs> for one times, try Centauri times. <laughs> for one times, try Centauri times. Natural eighteen. Nice, nice. just nice. rolling wow. rocks, Sir Willamit. And uh, oh, that is a critical threat. Oh, uh, for the rose. Yeah, I forgot that the rose and the light uh, in Sir Will's time away was. Made keen. Nice. And of course, he did not confirm. Uh, and he will do. Uh, well, that's pretty good. 18 points of damage. 18 points of damage to the one right now. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I should be. I still had charging on. God damn, it's going to be way worse. Yep. Yep. This is where everybody laughs at me. Seven points of damage. <laughs> he's a little guy with a little sword, but he's now. Preventing this creature from attacking all its other allies. So, seven points of damage, and it goes to Nestor. Nestor, this guy's right next to you, and little do you know, Metra is standing next to you, mooning uh, you. That's on right. The plane. So, there's a table behind me. 
there's some kind of looks like wooden thing in the map here. Yes, there is. The space behind where Metra is, though, you could still five foot step into ah, there. Okay. But you'll still be ten feet away, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, he is going to step back and he's going to brave any attacks of opportunity and go ahead and unleash a uh, full attack. And he doesn't know about the, the electricity thing. Also, it really doesn't matter anyway. All right, well, he will um, take his shitty attack and miss you, I'm assuming. Uh, 20 to hit. Uh, yeah, it's a miss. It's supposed to slam you with its big, mossy arm. All right, and he studies the targets. First attack, many shots. That is a 37 to hit. Oh, yeah. 26 points of... Da- oh, wait. No, no. Sorry. Six, 61 points of damage. Oh, my God. And a little bit of that is electricity. Uh, six of that is electricity. Yeah. Okay. That's still enough to kill it. Yes! yes. Awesome. God. Okay, cool. Okay. And then he is going to spend the rest of his attacks on the one fighting Sir Will. The one remaining John. Oh. Now, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Yep. Does Nestor have precise shot? Uh, he does. <laughs> yes. Yes, he has fucking precise shot. That's good, Joe. It's a 16th level archer. That's good. He has, he like, has fucking precise oh, shot. Oh, no, it's locked in melee. I'll never hit it now. <laughs> I'll never I'm hit six, it now. I'm 16th level. No, no. Oh, curse my luck. Uh, that is a 29 to hit. Yes. 28 points of damage. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, third overall attack. Oh, Natty 17. 28 more points of damage. Four okay. of which is electricity. All right. Uh, and to, to do that is the fourth attack is a 20 to hit. Ooh. Uh, that is a hit. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Awesome. What, is, what are we even doing here? 27 points of damage, six of which is electricity. Okay. Uh, it is still up, but it is in bad shape. Okay. Final attack. Come on, Jolta. Oh, Jolta. Come on. Come on. Oh, uh, uh, oh 20. 20 to hit. Yep. AC. 32 points of damage, five ele- electricity. AC 19. <laughs> yeah. Yes! Yes! AC 19? Yes. Wow. What is going on out here? <laughs> yeah! Yeah! And the enemy is defeated. Has defeated this gargantuan plant like dragon. With these four shambling mounds at its side, all came rushing in through the open doors leading to this hanging garden. The hanging garden, which you have now seen, Metra. You took a peek over and got a nice bird's eye view, a Metra eye view of the hanging garden. Doors lead out to there. You came into this room and uh, didn't really have much time to explore it. Um, It's been a little while, but one thing I said is there's bright sunlight, unlike any light you've seen shining from the other windows. And even through the open door, there's not as much light coming in. So it's coming into this room. So you you just you're smart enough to know there's some sort of magical uh, effect here that is making this room have a greenhouse effect and mm-hmm. there are giant plants flowers all over the place um and so it makes sense that these cloud giants these uh passionate artistic people like renfall and his harp would have a, a greenhouse as well and now who knows what it's being used for it's funny to hear renfall talk about plants <laughs> <laughs> i love plants <laughs> 
He <laughs> 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 recommended the mixed vegetables. He seemed pretty enthusiastic. That's about true. It. He used to grow them here, but he forgot. Uh, 54 seconds in the 54 seconds metro has to has to remain on the ethereal plane uh she takes a potion of cure serious and then 48 seconds after that she uh reappears um on the material plane with you all reappears on the material plane and probably could use some healing metro there's no time are you okay <laughs> very badly hurt i see that come here allow me to what are you doing? Spirit of the grace of Iomedae. <laughs> Give me your hand. She slaps the Sir Will across the face. Oh! You're too familiar, knight. <laughs> yeah, you wanted your, hold your hand, my lady. <laughs> too familiar, knight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, she extends her hand. No. The offer is done. <laughs> the offer is rescinded. The offer is rescinded. Uh, all right, he touches your hand with a little lay on hands. That he uses his hands for is a couple sixes. Uh, that is twenty four points of healing. Okay. Just need another one. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Even with the cure series, what's the minimum level for cure series level? Caster level. Uh, for uh, it would be five. Three eight plus five. Do you want me to just use another? Yeah, another I still hand? need. I still need another one. May the grace of Iomadei strengthen you. On your journey. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is a really good one, Matthew. Holy shit. 37. Nice. I am down. 36 points. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Grace. Wow. grace preserves Two sixes, three fives, two fours. Wow. Two. That was nice a, one. That was a good one. Great. Well, that went, that went better than expected. That went very well. Oh, very well. Yeah, no, it was... Uh, well done, team. I was in a, a considerable amount of pain there for about, oh, 60, yeah, it 66 pretty bad. seconds. You got hit in the face with like, quite a few like pebbles. Yeah, it was dirt and acid. And but apart from that, it was surprisingly brisk. None of you got touched, I see. No, I dodged you know, effortlessly out of the way, as I tend to do. Nothing touched your, and, handsome, uh, your handsome mugs. No, 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 we're all fine here. <laughs> Thanks to the sheriff. Yes. Sheriff, where is it you aimed? That first strike seemed to nearly put the creature down. Look right behind its neck, right here, and he takes Will's hand over to it. You feel that spot? Oh, gross. Isn't it disgusting? <laughs> well, that's where it's weakest. <laughs> Fe- really feel it. Stick your fingers in there. It's real sad. Oh. <laughs> oh. I just love that the 16th level night when being pointed out something. His like, reaction is gross. Yeah. <laughs> gross. <laughs> gross. <laughs> gross. He's used to a finer standard of living. That's right. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> this is rare eating, Will. <laughs> Sticks oh. his hand in his mouth. Delicious. <laughs> um... Yeah. What is this creature? Why have it here? What is it guarding? What is it protecting? I think think it might be guarding what's outside of this room, Will. Shall we move out into the gardens? Yeah, let's take a peek at least. Uh, First, let's search the room. Can we take 20 on the room? Oh, yeah. Sure. You take 20 on the room, you don't find anything of import. Let's go to the gardens. To the gardens. And he'll trot out. Wait! It might be gross. <laughs> You're right. You, you go first. <laughs> Can I rip open the dragon's belly to see if it has any secret treasure? Uh, sure. I, 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 Did it eat any 
level 15 item. <laughs> yeah, or the bones of uh, an ally or something. Like that. That's a great, actually, kind of nature type of thing. Yeah, sure. Do. So... What happens when I tear inside? You recognize the bones of Thune. You see a fetus of a smaller version of it. Oh, That's their reproductive cycle? It was Prager's? It was Prager's. Oh. And, and the baby crows in its stomach. Yep. <laughs> like a literal stomach. It's a, it's a plant and yeah. it's a baby and it gives birth to live young. It's a, wait, yeah. So it's a, drag, a dragon that doesn't lay eggs and it's a plant it's... dragon that gives birth to live young. So it's a dragon plant mammal? And Baron killed it. Does it have nipples? <laughs> <laughs> you see any nips? Can you milk me? Is it covered in... Is it, does it have hair? Is it furry? <laughs> no, there's nothing in nothing it. Okay. Not even Sir that. Will trots around its hooves to get uh, <laughs> out towards the garden. Uh, there's nothing in it. Not even anything funny. Cool. Great. <laughs> there is no comedy here. There's no comedy. <laughs> to the garden. <laughs> to the garden. <laughs> the mighty belly of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> there is no good content in this room. Let us move to the gardens. Mind this room for old jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Will uh, trots outside. And you see... A fucking gigantic, gigantic space. Oh my goodness. And this is what um, Metra saw from above, right? She was on like a catwalk or a, whatever, a balcony, and looked down into the gardens. I looked down and I said, Hey! <laughs> oh, that's some that's some uh, Gen Con inside humor. Yeah, <laughs> looked at it, but hey, hey, hey! <laughs> that was the funniest fucking thing ever. It was so funny. But watch, watch the video. Yeah, do watch the video. It's watch good. the blades in the dark. The game blades in the dark. Gen it's fun all around. Yeah. Here comes the reveal. Okay. Shugunk. All right. This is the polygon. Oh, oh my God. Whoa. He did it. He did it. He gets a nine out of 10 from the German judge. Oh, wow. Nicely done. Four fabulous hybrid trees bearing numerous varieties of ripening, delicious looking fruits grow in this marvelous outdoor hanging garden. On the ground, herbs and flowers are arranged in well-groomed beds among ornamental bushes. A path winds its way through the garden, you can see, leading to two plazas encircling a pair of ornate fountains. In the distance on the other side, a fallen tree lies uprooted across the path. Water just spurts from the two fountains near the middle of the garden. There are a bunch of flower beds and cultivated bushes containing giant-sized plant species that closely resemble their normal counterparts that you would have seen growing up. Marigolds, periwinkles, roses, violets, hmm. medicinal herbs. Some of the trees even bear enormous fruit like giant fucking apples <laughs> and lemons, oranges, pears. Oh my... You walk out into this garden, leaving the brightness of the greenhouse behind, but still this open-air space where the platform just descends into nothingness oh, no. on the other side. Oh, no. And from there, we leave this scene. <gasps> oh, no. We leave this scene, and we go back to where we were at the end of last week's episode, or yes. two weeks ago, episode when Brander 
is standing there in that pyramid in Osirian across from Silvermane Silver Tusk as we call him because it's Silvermane with Lork Iron Tusk's soul inside of him Gormley now in a ghostly form having been brought back to the material plane through that ritual at Seknavali and Galabras Finn who's also had his own rebirth in many ways after being instructed by Gormley through Shiel to bury Galabras in the Vault of Thorns he was rebirth as the creature that now stands in this room and we ended that last episode by Brander basically saying you've come a long way I suppose you want some answers what do you want to know it's not exactly what he said but that's the Summary. sense that's what Jimmy would have said that's what Jimmy, Jimmy would have said that's Jimmy talking <laughs> <laughs> I always appreciated Jimmy's brevity <laughs> Do you say anything to him? You mean before initiative? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I want to see if you have a reaction to that. Oftentimes in these Brander scenes, you don't have a lot of time to talk. This is the first time we've really seen Galambrus, Gormley, and Lork, essentially, back together again, now facing... Their mortal enemy? Question mark. This this thorn in their side. This undescribable power that has affected all of their lives. Even Gormley, even though she passed before, you know, he came back in feeble-minded Gal. You know, now we see that this has all been in motion. So he affects all of you in different ways. His last words are, each of you has traveled far and gone to great lengths to get here, so I suppose you feel as if I owe you some answers. Well then, let's talk. And he just stands there, staring at the three of you. Let's get some uh, information, just some, let's gather some basic information first. Uh, birth name? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what, not, what, no. not what they say. He doesn't know. I do not know. I don't do not know the name. I was given at birth. Two more questions. <laughs> You've used one of the three questions. Why did you pursue us? Why do you pursue us with such cruelty? What you see as cruelty, I see as necessary. I'm sure in your life you had to do things that others would consider to be cruel. Well, it's the same for me. I'm not an animal. I feel and I know I've had to do horrible things that still weigh on me. But what must be done must be done. Imagine he's powerful enough. Silverman and Brander, maybe at this point. Brander, that he could just 
think something, and Brander could hear it. Almost like a... And your friends, too. Telepathy, yeah. Mm. Gormley and Galabras, yeah, I mean, they're both, like, I think more powerful than Silvermane. You know, they're, like, risen... I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost. (laughs) I'm a ghost. Boo. So Silvermane will say... What does he want to say? Uh, You just said... uh, Okay. But why? Why must it be done? Why? Why indeed? I've watched my mother perish more times than I can remember. The first time was the only time I was foolish enough to think I could stop it. Every subsequent visit, I just stood in horror, watching her die in agony as I ripped through her womb into this ridiculous world. I imagine as Brander's saying this to you, we we see Brander back at the camp of the Council of Thorns. Sounds of his mother's childbirth anguish in the background. Other counselor members, maybe some that we saw in this scene with Silvermane, just running back and forth in slow motion. People crying, weeping, throwing their hands up in the air to the gods. And Brander is just standing there watching all of this. And as he's watching, he's slowly aging. Hmm watching this scene like he's watched countless times aging from a man who looks like he's in his 20s to a man in his 30s to the man that Galabras first met when Brander took him from the Elfin Reavers to the man you saw flying above the dam at Red Lake Fort to the version you saw at Minderhall's Cathedral with his hardened armor carapace fused to his chest peeking out through his robes while he stands there to the weathered older Brander that now exists with Della's face almost sewn onto his and he just watches this powerless you three may think I'm some all-powerful god Why? Why? Because I feeble-minded some pious child with barely burgeoning powers? Because I stopped time to speak to your friends in the cathedral? Is it because I can bring a man back to life for a day or take to the skies and turn into a winged dragon? Any fool with enough time and practice can do these things. Though I have consumed powers greater than any of us combined, I am weak. I have always been weak. This is why I needed you. And you. And you as well. And all of your friends to do the work for me. And soon the work shall be done. 
cry. <laughs> I cannot defeat Volstus. The only chance of that happening is your friends. And should they fail? Well, we are. We are all doomed anyway. But should they succeed? Well, then, I'll have what I need. I do not think you are a god. I know more than you've forgotten. Oh, I've forgotten more than you know. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> Stop confusing me <laughs> with your gorilla pyramid tactics. He puts his hands down and <laughs> ceases casting his spell. Confusing. Yeah. Confusion. <laughs> friend has lost his way. Put him out of his misery. He has failed his save. <laughs> Speaking of Osirian, why are we here? Why, Osiria, what is to be found in the relics of these places? Ah, oh, yes, this place. Well, surprised you're asking me what brought you here. A feeling. All these years I've been working towards something, moving pieces across the board, and meeting with resistance, resistance that I couldn't quite put my finger on and now it's clear right when you walked in because it was you whoever you think you are putting things in position just to try and stop me when you don't even know what you're stopping look around you all of you all these images on the walls, all of recorded time's most important moments here. That is why Osirian is important, because this is where it all began. This is where my story truly began. It's all these years I've watched. I've watched and I've waited. I've read these signs and I just knew a day would come when I would possess enough power to create a solution when I could truly master time, as they said, and save her and I both. I've learned from these images here in this pyramid, learned from my brother's work and from my own studies and spent several lifetimes drinking in the essence of the world's greatest artifacts, consuming even the life force of creatures great and small, thinking that one day I could find a cure to all of this. And ultimately, that's what the three of you are doing. You think by stopping me or stopping Volstice, you're going to find some cure. It's a fool's errand. Because you know what I realized? After all my searching, I realized that mastering time isn't rewriting it to fix history's greatest errors. It's ending it <laughs> completely. And so that 
is my plan, my friends. That is my why. And so what happens next is up to fate in many ways. I believe Volstice is taking this castle to the holds of Belkson. With the fire and frost giant armies defeated or disbanded, his plans have changed slightly. And he's looking at the wall and you see like he's tracking Volstice's <laughs> movements with these stories that he's telling as well. <laughs> His plans have changed, but he's not acting out of desperation. No, he is quite calculated. He always has been. While he has forged dark alliances from the abyss, he still needs soldiers on the ground carrying out his plans. And there are still giants loyal to his cause about. When they see a flying castle full of giants float over civilization they will bow to that power then gathering the various orc tribes well that will be invaluable as well for even the most ferocious and headstrong among them will know what their options are unite with Volstice or perish and the children of Urgothoa have gained strength as well across the land Highbury was not the only castle that fell to the servants of the Pallid Princess. All shall unite under Volstice. The end is coming, don't you see? All three of you have died. You should know better than anyone about the end. So you must understand that what I do is a mercy. So, you may use your collective powers to leave this plane, and perhaps there will still be a life for you to live, a second chance. Take people with you. Take your friends. Should they survive, start over. Because if we meet again, then you will have made a grave error. <laughs> Gorma is just her, her spirit is starting to chuckle how old are you and yet still such a little boy <laughs> speak your mind death is not the end you see that proof in front of you You run from this so quickly and so fast with all your might. And you want to bring about the entire destruction of everything that has ever existed. I just think you're a scared little boy. But what do I know? I've just conquered death. we have but not dead and you ask why I move these pieces against you and it was obvious and I knew why all along 
There can be no master of time. Anyone who attempts it must be stopped. There is only pain there, only suffering. I have lived many lifetimes, and living them again has only brought pain. Once is enough. Once is enough for all. And that is what I seek. To prevent power-hungry, immature souls like yourself from trying to prevent the natural order of things. There is an order, you know. An order to the way these things are meant to be. That is why I am here. I represent the land, the air, the birds and the water. I represent a continuance of life that will go long beyond when you turn to ashes. So, use your powers, if you like, to flee. And use your intimidating words about not wanting to us to meet again. But I assure you, in the end, life will go on. Whether we are here or not, and you will not be a part of it. For my part, I do pity you, the pain you've clearly felt. But you must understand that we cannot permit you to do this. Well then, it seems as if you've made your feelings clear. He stands up. Looks at you, Galapras. Be seeing you. <laughs> and then winks out. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> From there we see Jimmer <gasps> lying on the floor of the cavern with the altar and the skeleton of Kilpoth. And Jimmer is lying there alone. Thun is not there. And Brander is not there. It's like the lights come up on this and then the lights go down. And we hear the sounds of wind whipping violently. It's not a storm, but it sounds unnatural. And suddenly, like, a mountaintop comes into view. And we zoom in on a small ledge extending outward from a cave mouth appearing almost near the peak of this absurdly high mountaintop. And suddenly just Brander and Thune materialize there. Thune is still tied up. He's shocked by the teleportation, but also by the drastic change in temperature. Brander just waves a hand at Thune and the ropes loosen. The gag falls limply out of his mouth. 
Cthulhu stands up wearily and looks out at the land below. I mean, it's... I can't even tell you how high up they are, and it is a sheer drop from the lip of the cliff's edge. It's beautiful, but terrifying. You can even see the tops of a few scattered clouds, and then all of Galarian below. Brander looks at Thune, and it's like, it's, it's quite beautiful, isn't it? These are the Five Kings Mountains. Did your journeys ever take you here? I do not know if ever I even stood in the foothills of these mountains, but I don't believe I ever looked upon the world from this high. Not many people have, Thun. Ironically, the dwarves in their quest for sky could have never dreamed of reaching a height such as this. No dwarven king stood here and looked down upon all creation. Thun looks away from the view and stares quizzically at Brander. You can see him trying to dig through memories that have been replaced with bits and pieces of past lives like he can't fully place Brander. Hmm. And then he he lands on something. It's like, I brought you to Osirian long ago to save you. This I remember. You did not save me soon, though no doubt you thought you had. It was selfish what you did. You simply did not want the death of three infants on your hands. How could you have known that death was the wiser choice? Thune looks at him, and it's tragic. I remember, this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this scene. I remember when I used to visit my grandmother when she was still alive, my father's mother. She passed away a long time ago, and she had Alzheimer's. And uh, as I would visit her towards the end, like she had no idea who I was. Uh, But my dad would visit her every single day, and I can remember asking him, like, does she, I know she doesn't know who I am, but like, does does she know uh, who you are? And he would say, uh, she doesn't quite know who I am, but she knows I belong to her. Hmm. Hmm. And that's how Thune looks at Brander Hmm. here. Hmm. And so Brander just walks slowly towards him and says, I do not hate you as I once did. For many years, I hated you very much. I blamed you for much, and I held on to that for a very long time. I held on to many things, but time and distance have a way of giving one perspective. Because now... I understand what you are. 
you are just like me. You were thrust into an unending cycle you cannot control, and for that, I pity you. But I pity you like I would a a horse who lies on the ground with a cart overturned on its legs. It wasn't the horse's fault that the driver misjudged the road, but all the same, the damage is done. So what is one to do? Do you leave the horse to die slowly as it screams in agony? Would you give mercy to the horse and put it out of its misery? This whole world you see below you, Thun, is suffering the exact same fate. But I am going to take care of that. Just as I will this. Goodbye, Thun. Brander turns his back to Thun and starts to walk towards the cave mouth, just leaving Thun there alone atop this mountain peak. Then, in slow motion, this all happens. Brander turns, rears his hands back, and just pushes the air in front of him. And Thun is thrust out (laughs) and over the cliff's edge, falling into the nothingness below. And we'll see you next week. Oh, oh my God, that's so sad. Oh. Poor thing. Oh. oh, my God. Well, at least it ended on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> what does it matter with you? <laughs> we hardly knew you. Quite literally. One less NPC for you, LaValle. <laughs> Selfish bastard. The Glass Cannon Podcast is a Glass Cannon Network production and is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Giant Slayer is copyright 2015. Giant Slayer and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Was that too dark of an ending? Is <laughs> that too dark to need a little light to uh, end a little bit on a higher note so there's hope for the future? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In the darkness, we hear a voice. Wait, for real? Yeah. Yeah. We just hear a voice that sounds like a chorus of voices all talking over each other, each saying one word. Forget. Forget, 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 forget. Oh, yeah. A young man sits up with a start from his desk, a desk filled with tomes, scrolls, spell components. Yes. <laughs> it is young Pembroke. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pembroke the Potent, perhaps. He went by many names. He 
he gets up and he looks about the room for the origin of these voices, voices he's been hearing more and more as of late. Nightmares in general have become more frequent lately. Images of people and places that seem so familiar to you, people you used to know, but now you have trouble placing them. It's a strange feeling. You feel like you're at the height of your power, Pembroke, yet something keeps nagging you at the back of your brain. Pembroke rushes over to a shelf and moves his finger across several oversized tomes until he lands on one. We see him uh, place it down and just pouring over images of undead mummies, revenants, demi-liches. And as he reads, he traces his finger along one word. Curse. Sits back in his chair, tugging ever so gently at a small beard he's starting to grow. He then laughs to himself and darts out of the room. We move from there to a library where Pembroke walks gleefully up to the counter. Yes, how may I help you? Ah, yes, my good man. I believe I have been cursed. Now, it's the strangest thing. Uh, I, I don't remember it at all, which in, in and of itself may have something to do with the curse, if I'm being honest. But now, I, uh, I'm not a priest or a holy man by any means, but I need to do some research and try to find a way out of this predicament. And if I'm wrong, well, then I will have learned some things along the way. Either way, I'm not prepared to take the risk. So could you point me in the direction of your Assyrian studies? The man at the counter stares at Pembroke for a moment, then, without breaking eye contact, just points off to the left. Thank you. (laughs) Now Pembroke is sitting down with several large volumes open in front of him. He's reading one, comparing and contrasting passages from one to another. Time passes, and you can tell he's, he's getting frustrated. He has his glasses off, and he's rubbing his eyes. He gives a look to himself as if to say, like, what am I doing? You know that look? What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> I'm being crazy. So he just starts to close the books up, stack them on top of each other. And just as he's ready to give up, he notices a smaller book among the ones that he's grabbed. So he sits up, he puts his glasses back on, and he takes the book and turns it over in his hands. It's made of a, a thick hide, animal hide, bound with rope and several druidic symbols on it. He opens it up, and on the first page, it reads, in a druidic tongue, the Council of Thorns. Pembroke laughs that he can read the secret language of the druids. (laughs) He's never cared much for rules, so he flips through the book until he gets to drawings. And there's drawings of a bridge passing over a domed forest, giant lily pads floating over nothingness. Pembroke's eyes widen. Now we cut to a dense forest. Barely a sound can be heard save for the wind until we finally hear a faint rustling sound as young Pembroke, maybe his beard's a little longer from his journey, he emerges from the brush with that same book in his hand. It almost looks like he's trying to follow a map but really he's just looking for landmarks. He walks up to a tree and examines its shape, comparing it to the image of a tree in a book, and then he follows one of its long branches extending from the trunk, tracing the length of the branch with his finger until he's pointing in the same direction as the branch, 
directly at a circle of standing stones in the distance. <laughs> Pembroke smiles wide as he approaches the few remaining men here. He closes the book and starts to reach towards the central men here. And as he does so, he hears a voice. Who are you? Pembroke turns and sees a will-o'-wisp floating menacingly about four feet away. Uh, my name is Pembroke. I've held a few titles, but Pembroke should suffice. May I ask who you are? My name is Moss Moon, and you are trespassing on hallowed ground. State your purpose, or perish. Well, it's a long story, actually, but I believe I shall cease to exist someday. Not unlike yourself, actually. However, even if I should live forever, according to gut feeling, but I think I have been cursed with a sickness that will take away something even greater than my corporeal body, my powers. Uh, I'm of the understanding that there is another plane of existence overlapping this very spot which may hold the key to life everlasting, and then some. Should this curse be real, I'd like to see if I could hedge my bets, if you will. Moss Moon, a will-o'-wisp, just floats up to Pembroke. It almost looks like he's sniffing him, sniffing the air around him. Yes, I can smell it on you. Great evil has touched you. My people and I were once enemies to great evil. So perhaps your purpose is aligned with ours. And if I am wrong, then the vault will be your judge and executioner. But first... Traveler, you will need a lantern. There is only one such lantern in existence, so you will. No, no, no. Need I'm to... sorry, sorry to cut you off. Uh, I won't, won't be needing anything like that. Uh, as long as you've given me permission, don't want to be rude. So that's all I needed. Good day, Moss Moon. Perhaps we'll meet on the other side. <laughs> and with that. Pembroke walks up to the central men here and casts some ridiculous, uber-powerful spell <laughs> that unlocks a gateway on it. <laughs> he waves at Moss Moon and walks through. What? Now we'll see you next time. Oh, my God. What is that? I want a fucking debrief in 301. I have an interrogation. I'm writing a list of questions. <laughs> In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. 
But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.